We are now in week three of our series on the parables. Uh, Pastor Richard has been uh, preaching the past few weeks, uh, leading us on some of the parables. Last week, it was the story of forgiveness from Matthew 18. And uh, today we're going to look at the story of the sower and the seed, the parable of the sower. I'm really guessing that most of you, probably all of you, have heard this story before. I think I'm seeing some nods of heads. You're saying yes. Um, As with all the parables of Jesus, the meaning of the story isn't completely obvious. It's as if Jesus is saying, you're going to really have to think about it. Um, Stick with me. Figure this story out. Mull it over and and then come back for more. Our staff, um, our church staff, sat around the desk in Pastor Richard's office just this past Monday morning. We spent 30 minutes talking about the parable of the sower, and we answered some questions, and then we had more questions as we were reading it through. And I wonder if that's what it's like often as we read Scripture. We get some questions answered, and then we have more that we want to think about. Are you ready to say today, Lord, I want to stand under your word and let it pour over me. I'm ready to go deep into your word, and I want it to shape me and change me. So here we are, Matthew chapter 13, looking at the story. Uh, Cyrus read to us verses 1 to 9, and really that is the story that Jesus told, the parable of the sower. Then after that, in verses 10 to 17, Jesus, in an interlude, explains almost enigmatically and mysteriously on why he speaks in parables. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. You can look at that at a later time. Jesus gives that explanation of why he speaks in parables. And then in verses 18 to 23, Jesus explains the meaning or the significance of the parable that he taught. So when Jesus told parables... It was his way of giving a picture of the kingdom. Remember that little phrase that that Pastor Richard used last week? It was that that word parable literally means to throw alongside. So Jesus tells about the kingdom, and then he gives a picture and throws it alongside. And think of it as a painting, a painting that helps us to see how God is at work. Vincent van Gogh was captivated by the theme of the sower. Um, This painting is on display at the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. You can see the picture there. The painting is intriguing, thinking, first of all, van Gogh did over 30 paintings about this. See, van Gogh, before he started painting, felt called to the ministry. And he started preaching, and the stories that I've read was that his sermons were so rambling and all over the map that everybody kept falling asleep and nobody was paying attention. And he figured out that that wasn't the place for him. Wasn't it good that he wasn't a preacher? We needed the artwork that he did, but here's one of them. And I like the painting of the sower here, um, in that the sower is blessed by the sun which sets behind the figure like a halo. So he's trying to get away from this picture of classical art, those old pictures where was the classic halo 
But there he has the sun setting like a halo over him. Matthew 13.3 uh, tells us simply, a farmer went out to sow. Or, in some translations, it just says, a sower went out to sow. Because in the story, that's the only job that the farmer has, to sow seed. How many of you have had farming jobs before? Show of hands. Not too many. Okay, I get to speak knowledgeably here. I worked on a farm for um, a summer in the Niagara Peninsula. I grew up in Niagara, and I wasn't when I wasn't working with tourists, I worked on the farm, and I worked on a vineyard. Actually, it was a vineyard, and we also had pigs, but that's another story. I think I'll talk about the vineyard now. And when I was a teenager, I worked there, and I never became an expert in agriculture. But you and I know a couple of things about farming. For those of you who put up your hands, and the rest of you as well, you know that this story leaves out a lot of important details, doesn't it? It doesn't talk about irrigation or yeah, bad weather or the kind of weather fertilizers, weeding, harvesting, and so on. The story is not a complete explanation about farming. The only job here is for the laborer to do. The only job is sow seed. That's all the farmer is doing. That's all the sower is doing. And you might ask the question, well, who is the sower in the story? Is God the only sower? Or Is everyone who follows Jesus also a sower? We might wonder about this question briefly. It's a good one to ponder on. And this question will take us in new directions. But Jesus, who is the master storyteller, he's eager to move us along to the heart of the story. And Jesus tells us about the seed. A few more observations that we make here about the seed. The sower scattered seed that fell on different kinds of terrain. You might ask the question, why waste the seed by sowing in places where there would be no growth? It seems like it just fell, but the sower was casting the seed and it fell on all different, those four places. The path, the rocky soil, the thorns, and the good soil. Why waste the seed? The seed was precious. The seed meant life itself. And here is the farmer putting the seed out where the soil is very hard. Maybe one possible answer is that um, it shows God's extravagance. God is extravagant. He goes beyond what we would expect. The sower casts the seed in many places. It's estimated that there are at least 200 billion galaxies. Wow, God could have made just one. There are 10,000 species of birds. Could you imagine God just saying, I think I'll just make one kind. Just one and only one. But you could say, God is generous in how he is made and created. And God is generous also with his seed casting throughout the place, throughout the land. I want to remind you again, though, that Jesus does not make this the focus of his story. He's eager to tell us about how the seed is received. The seeds are so small, 
when they are put into the ground, they do not appear majestic. We can't measure any growth in these seeds until they, in fact, disappear from sight. What does the seed stand for? And this is where we do get an answer. We read the explanation that that Jesus gives in verses 18 to 23 of Matthew 13. And we will discover this, that the seed is the word of God. In Luke 8, 11, actually, it's recorded there that Jesus spells it out very clearly. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The story is not about good sowers and bad sowers. It's, it's not about good seed and bad seed. And here's where the story gets interesting. When we get to the soil, Jesus tells us about the four different kinds of soil. The path the rocky places, the thorns, and the good soil. And he reminds us that different kinds of soil represent different kinds of people. When I was thinking about this over this past week, one commentator said, let's not have people in the church think, oh, everybody in here, everybody who comes here is definitely a good soil person. And everybody out there is one of those other soils. They're reminding us that we need to think very carefully about different kinds of soil. So the first one is the path. Jesus describes what's happening on the path in verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. When seed falls on the path, it stays only on the surface of a person's life. It's not really taken in. But I want you to notice that even path people hear the message. Even path people are hearers. They just don't receive it so that it sinks in, but it lands on the path. Think of, how, think of a path and how many people have walked on it. A path is very receptive to feet, isn't it? But it's not receptive to seeds. Where people have beaten down the earth, then it's not able to make its way into the soil. If the soil becomes hardened, the soil can become hardened or crusty. I wonder if Jesus is talking about people who, first of all, you know, I think, are hurt. And when you become so hurt by something, then maybe you've become disappointed. And then that disappointment moves to bitterness or cynicism or always being suspicious of people. And and it's the kind of move that closes oneself off from others. I couldn't trust that other person before, so why should I trust you now? And you start to put up a wall. I know two brothers. I know two brothers where differences arose between them. Both of them felt hurt by each other. But the months turned into years, and the years turned into decades without them really talking to each other or trying to understand each other, or really embracing each other. 
Is your soil getting harder or softer in your relationships? In Psalm 95, we read, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The rocky places. Jesus described what is happening on the rocky places in verses 20 and 21. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This seed lands on a place where the soil is shallow. Richard Foster says, superficiality is the curse of our age. Notice that Jesus describes a person who receives the word with joy. Now, here's what I know. I know I get excited when somebody receives the word with joy. Don't you? Don't you as well? You see somebody getting so excited about receiving God's word and and becoming excited about making steps of faith right at the beginning. And it's okay for us to get excited about that. But what's far more important, Jesus says, what's far more important then how we begin our word is how we continue in his word and how we continue in his life. Continue in him. I have shallow soil when I'm focused on my needs, when I cannot last. What a contrast with Ephesians 3.18 where Paul writes, And I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. How do I go deep with Christ? That's Psalm 42, deep calls to deep. How do I do that? I know I've talked with people and and you've said to me, I just want to go deeper with Jesus. I want to go deeper with my faith. How do we do that? Well, part of this is saying, by letting his word have full access to me. And that's by saying, Lord, I want you to have full access to every area of my life. Are you stressed out about something this week? And you say, Lord, I want you to speak to me, but then it's, Lord, will you please penetrate into my heart for why I'm experiencing this stress right now? Will you please... Penetrate deeply into what I am experiencing right now. I don't want to ignore hard questions. I want to expose my pain rather than covering it over or hiding what's going on in my life. I want to live each day meaningfully with Christ. I don't want to be just in the rocky places. Then the next image that Jesus gives is the thorns. And here's how he describes what happens with the seed and the thorns in verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Weeds of worry. I think the parable speaks to us because all of us have had path times, all of us have had shallow times. All of us have had thorny times where we get stressed about our life. And if those consume us, it distracts us from something else. You see, the thorns represent a cluttered soul. 
worried about money? Not us. Nobody here would be worried about money. Our lives become cluttered, even with good things. I want you to hear that. Even with good things, our lives can get cluttered. And then they choke out the word. That's why Jesus keeps urging us to get our priorities straight. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The good soil. That's the next, right? The good soil, interestingly, it's the shortest portion that Jesus focuses on. He spends more time talking about the other ones than when he gets to the, to the good soil. The seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. That's it. And then this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. There's the story. I want to think with you now about five takeaways. So we'll kind of move quickly through this, but five takeaways as we reflect on this story. First one is this, give room for the seed to grow. Reflect on your week. Ask yourself where you have given space for the word of God in your life. See, this story is for us. Where, where do we give space over this past week? Where have we done it over the past month? Give room for the seed to grow. Psalm 10 has an interesting picture of the wicked person. The, the, the one way of describing the wicked person in Psalm 10 is this. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. Room for everything else. No room for God's place in my life. So how do we make room to live a truly meaningful life? I've been nervous about this next illustration. Marie Kondo. Any Marie Kondo fans here? Okay, there you are. Okay, there are a few, but including my wife. Um, and um, she wants to remind me to keep the house clean. Okay, Marie Kondo gives top tips on joyfully decluttering your home to offer a transformative one-time organizing event. Here it is, and here is her end goal. And I quote, get this, is to the goal of decluttering your house is to provide clarity unencumbered by belongings that carry baggage or anxieties about the future. That is what she wants. That is what she wants. When she comes in to say, I'm going to clean your home, she says, I want to declutter your life so you are not worried about the future. That's actually not a bad thing, is it? But Jesus is saying this about our soul life. Make room for my word in your life. Do this regularly. Read the scriptures, not just to complete a checklist, but read the scriptures to open your lives so that the scriptures get through us. Paul writes to the Colossian church, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you do that? You know, so many of us, we're at such different stages of life, right? Some of, some of you are in the young parenting stages. i Maybe I've mentioned, I, I like the image of Susanna Wesley as she had 19 children. 
She raised godly kids, and when she wanted quiet time, she had this big apron, and she threw it over her head, and it was a sign to all her kids, don't bug mom, because she's quiet and she's with God right now. But I, there are different ways of how you're going to find still stillness, but it's this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Make room. Um, Dale Bruner describes the parable like this. The simple reception of the word makes one fruitful. The first soil did not receive the word at all, though it heard it. The second received it with joy, but under pressure let it go. The third received it with only one hand because the other hand was busy. Only the fourth soil received the seed of the word with both hands. Give room for the seed to grow. The next takeaway is this. Be patient with the work of the sower. Here's where we come to the mystery of the story, is this. Not every seed that is sown is going to bear good fruit. But I know you know that in your life already. How many of you have tried to share hope and love and peace with somebody and they're just not responding at least yet. And you feel like that harvest might be failing. Don't be discouraged when seed that is planted does not bear fruit. Whether we see God as the sower or ourselves at other times as sowers, scatter the seed without discouragement and leave the results to God. Because the book of James says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. The next takeaway is this. Third, God's kingdom comes in weakness. Don't be surprised about this. The results are majestic, but the beginnings are small. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells seven parables. The first three of them are all about seeds. You know, you'd say, aren't you going to tell us about anything else? The first seed is the parable of the sower we just heard. The second parable is the parable of the seed and the weeds, the good seed and the bad seed. And, and then the third parable is the parable of the mustard seed. Here it is, Jesus' low-profile prof, way of entering into the world. God is entering into the world, but it's low-profile. Don't we want something more spectacular? Don't we just wish that God would just zap everybody around us? Don't you wish that there would be a majestic arrival of God and God is saying, I'm showing up. It's through seed. It's through seeds. Don't be afraid of weakness. You ever feel weak? God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. We receive the kingdom like a seed. It's something so small that if you are careful, if you are not careful, you are going to miss it. You're going to miss out on that seed. But if we tend to the seed, and if we nurture it in smallness, then we are promised that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So the fourth takeaway is this. This seed is going to bear fruit. The seed, which is God's word, 
brings into the world the power of the kingdom. The power of the kingdom. Without the seed of God's word, we would all be desperately lost. Without the seed of God's word, we would not know faith or hope or love. But God's powerful word is here right now. And now the harvest is abundant. You see, Jesus tells us this story, this parable, not as a parable of failure saying, well, look, the seed is messed up because it's only bearing fruit in 25% of the places that are described here. But this is a parable of success. Jesus talks about a crop that yields 160 or 30 times what was sown. It's a sure harvest that is coming, and God is going to bring it about. You notice there's that verse, Genesis 26, on the screen. I'd never noticed it before until this past week, and the study that I'd been doing was that there's one other place where a harvest was a hundred times. Isaac planted crops in that land, the land that was promised to him, the promised land, and the same year reaped a hundred fold. The sign of extraordinary blessing of God is what is promised in the abundant harvest of the kingdom and the wonderful faithfulness of God as the word of God is planted all around us. God is promising that kind of richness. Fifth takeaway, last one is this. Give your attention to what God is doing. Okay, you see those letters on the bottom? Shout it out, it's a word jumble. What is the word? Listen. Listen is the word. Listen. There is another word. What is the other word? Thank you. Silent. I'll say nothing. Maybe both of those words go together, don't they? Listen and silent. There's something necessary about being silent in order to listen. And to give attention to what God is doing, we need to be silent. It's easy for all of us to let words go in one ear and out the other, but listening in every relationship is important. It's essential everywhere we are. It's true at work. Uh, There's one study that revealed that those who listen to understand have better relationships in the workplace. Workers who don't feel listened to are far more likely to feel resentment at their job and to be sitting at their computer while they are working Googling, trying to find out about their next job. Because they don't feel listened to. Okay, it's true in marriage. The more we learn to listen, your relational ability increases. But when we are so busy, we lose the ability to hear. How many of us find our value in being busy? That... that um, I know this is a temptation for me. Sometimes I, I feel like propped up when my 
my schedule is busy and I can say to a next person, oh, I'm, I'm so busy that it, that it makes me feel important. Um, but that's not what Jesus intends for us. The German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, Christians who can no longer listen to one another will soon no longer be listening to God either. So in verse 9, Jesus says this, Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, that one verse, I think, is the key to the whole story. The sentence is not just a decorative verse of saying, okay, hear me. I think it's the key to the whole story is that when we listen, we are in fact making room for God. Um, Listening is so essential to discipleship. Our key responsibility in this life is that we have to listen to the seed of the word of God. Eugene Peterson translates Romans 10.17. You know that that verse, um, faith comes by hearing the word of God. And Eugene Peterson puts it like this. The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there is nothing to listen to. Do we realize that we are listening and hearing about the most precious jewel when we gather here week after week, our hope, our life, our peace. And so each week we are the church gathered, receiving the word of God, delighting in the message of Christ's love for us, making place for his word in our lives. And soon, in just a few moments, we are preparing to be the church scattered. Sowing seed, confident that God will do his good work in this world. Will you join me together in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for stories. We thank you that you told parables, stories that aren't instantly meaningful but stories that we need to chew on, to wrestle with, to think about, to reflect on, and to mull over. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have ears to hear, to have both hands open, receiving what you give to us. And may we live in your love and abide in you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.